0: everybody. Saul Marquez with the Outcomes Rocket. I want to welcome you to this amazing series uh, for October, Cybersecurity Series, brought to you by us at Outcomes Rocket and also the Public Health Sector Coordinating Council. We've got an amazing lineup of guests. And today I am super privileged to be with an incredible person and a leader in this space. His name is Errol Weiss. He's Health ISAC's Chief Security Officer. He has over 25 years of experience in information security, beginning his career with a national security agency conducting penetration tests of classified networks. He created and, and ran Citigroup's Cyber Intelligence Center and was a senior vice president executive with Bank of America's Global Information Security Team. Uh, Errol is an MS in technical management from Johns Hopkins, and he's got his BS in, in computer engineering, but the track record that he has in the industry and security is, is just unbelievable, and it's a privilege to have him here on the podcast with us. Errol, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Saul, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Absolutely. Now, before we get into the meat and bones of our discussion, in particular, to, to I'm surrounded by cyber threats. How do I know what to protect against and how? Talk to us about you, Errol. What, what, what is Health ISAC, and what got you into security?
1: Now, what the heck is an ISAC besides <laughs> the worst acronym on the planet? Probably so. I, I didn't pick the name, so well, but um, it's all good. you know, just to really introduce the topic, you know, the, the idea about an ISAC started in the mid 1990s when the US government realized that most of the critical infrastructure was owned and operated by the private sector. And cyber risks were starting to take off at the time. The internet was, a, was starting to be a thing at the time, realizing that, uh, that the critical infrastructure could be impacted uh, remotely. Um, and so they, they really encouraged the, the formation and creation of these information sharing and analysis centers for each of the critical infrastructure. So finance, water, transportation, health, et cetera, energy. And, um, and the idea was to get the private sector to share information with each other in order to learn and better protect the critical infrastructure from cyber threats. And of course, it's grown and evolved over the last 20 plus years, but that's essentially what it is at its core.
0: Love it. And and no, that's great to know. And, um, and glad that the work is being done, Errol. What got you into cybersecurity?
1: So um, as you said, during the introduction, I did... Have a chance to uh, to start my infosec career at the National Security Agency, and uh, learned how to and became quite good at penetration testing. So a lot of fun at the time. It was great. I learned so much. It was it was challenging. You know, it was almost like the like solving complex p- complex puzzles. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was really great, interesting work. I thought it was really satisfying. And then I left the government and was doing it for commercial customers like banks and insurance companies for quite a bit of time. But as I say, I I used to be fairly technical and I lost all those technical skills. I realized that the day that I had to call tech support to come fix my printer, hung up the phone (laughs) and I was like, I cannot believe I just made that phone call.
0: That is too funny. Well, well, listen, you know, that's what happens, right? Like you, you, you get into leadership roles, you, you, you start kind of working on the, on the big picture strategy things, um, which are also very important. Uh, where is this going? And so, gosh, I mean, we're dealing with a lot of things. I mean, most recently Uber got hacked that, that made the headlines. Give us an example of the kinds of attacks healthcare organizations are are facing.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it is all over the place that Uber one is a great example. We should definitely talk about that, too. But, um, you know, traditionally, I, I try to focus there's so many different groups to focus on, but I try to focus on things like cybercrime, where the um, the bad guys are literally out to try to steal money or to make money by monetizing stolen information. And then uh number two would be like nation states so like uh china russia north korea iran you could throw the united states in there for that matter but the whole idea about um about motivated nation states uh primarily doing things like espionage you know to learn about their adversary maybe to steal company secrets or whatnot but that has been the name of the game for a long time the other thing that I literally have recently added to the mix, although we've been talking about it for 10 plus years, is, is hacktivism. Um, it's normally, mm-hmm. it's it's been out there. That I think one of the first examples that I'd like to talk about is uh, Occupy Wall Street from 2011, but um, you know, traditionally more of a, I'd say more of a nuisance sort of a thing where we have social, politically motivated threat actors taking to the net to do something normally exposing people or or publishing uh, personal information or personal documents online in order to embarrass their targets. but it's become uh, popular as of late again following the Roe v Wade uh, decision that was overturned a few months ago and now we have um, you know either side of that abortion debate using hacktivist techniques to further their cause as well. Wow. So, you know, from the health sector standpoint, we have um, uh, providers who look at hospitals or clinics that are providing uh, those kinds of family services that are being targeted by uh, anti-abortion groups. Uh, they're also targeting even insurance companies that are paying for those services. So wow. it's, it's fairly serious.
0: Wow. Wow. You know, um, Errol, that, this is the first time I've heard of that term, hacktivism. Uh, appreciate you sharing it here this cyber cyber these cyber attacks are are being used uh in a lot of different ways uh and and so this is fascinating and and what would you say is the motivation behind a lot of these attacks
1: uh starting that conversation off again you know looking at the cyber crime landscape um the threat actors that we see there are looking to make money and they'll do everything they can to either steal information Or threaten to release uh, private information, uh, so essentially extorting their victims, or using things like ransomware. And again, there's been a ton of ransomware that has impacted the health sector. It has gotten quite a lot of media attention because of how serious it is. You know, when you start potentially impacting hospitals from delivering, Uh, patient care and they have trouble delivering that care or ambulances get diverted because they can't accept any new patients because their electronic health record system is down because of a ransomware incident, those tend to get a lot of media attention. And and the payouts have been enormous, right? And so, so what we've seen happening in this ransomware ecosystem is the ransoms keep Getting higher and higher, people are wow. paying them, and it continues to motivate the attackers just to do more. Jeez. And so, it's not unusual for us to see multi-million-dollar ransomware payments being made these days. Unfortunately, wow. and again, it just it just fuels the the malicious actors to continue to do what they're doing.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I I didn't know it was it was that high. Like literally, they're asking for millions. And how do they ask for the money? Like, do they? ask for a wire transfer or how the heck does that even happen and how do they receive it secretly
1: yeah so so uh, here's the other side of the uh of of the the, uh, coin here where they are using uh digital currency cryptocurrency Mm. things like bitcoin in order to uh be paid and um, is that right yeah, and as you can imagine, they're they're telling a hospital, hey, send us a million dollars with a Bitcoin, and the hospital says we don't have any Bitcoin. I don't even know what that is. How do I do that? And the next thing that shows up is a, an extensive, beautiful tutorial on how to do that. So they are very good about teaching their victims how to uh, execute those payments. Wow! You know, and to and to your point, uh, Saul. Unfortunately, you know, in a lot of ways, that that once they make that payment, that money is very difficult to track. So. The digital currencies, these cryptocurrencies are very good about um, allowing the cyber criminals to maintain their anonymity and they can get paid uh, through those currencies and and have essentially almost no fear of being caught. Wow. Um, so it's hmm. it's one of the downsides of the whole digital uh, ecosystem. And uh, you know, just to just to give you a little bit more on the numbers, um. Uh, Health ISAC actually partnered with Microsoft back in April, and we filed a civil lawsuit against one just one of the um, ransomware families that's out there uh, a delivery system called ZLoader. And they okay. filed a civil lawsuit to essentially obtain the, the infrastructure that the bad guys were using to deliver that Z Loader botnet. Wow. And as part of that lawsuit, uh, on Health ISAC, we were there to represent the health sector to talk about the impact that things like Ryuk, which is one of the families of ransomware that Zloader delivers, what Ryuk um, impact was on on healthcare, and so we were able to track that Ryuk ransomware since uh, 2018, and and track that back to over 200 hospitals that were impacted by that ransomware. And again, things like ambulances being forced to divert, uh, diverted, uh, disrupted delivery of chemotherapy treatment for cancer patients, uh, caused, um, it caused delays in reporting of lab results, uh, people's uh, appointments had to be rescheduled, for example. Um, electronic health record systems down for weeks at a time. Patient records that were leaked, and so when we when we aggregate all of those losses, there's over hundred million dollars worth of revenue losses because of those canceled procedures. And then and then even worse, there's all over five hundred million dollars worth of costs associated responding to those attacks. So everything from ransomware payments to hiring a digital forensic services company to come in to help figure out, figure what, out happened what happened and pick yeah. it yeah, and pick up the pieces and then and then um, also some of the security upgrades that were made after the fact as well so it's it and again that's just one family of ransomware jeez and,
0: yeah, and the numbers incredible. you shared it, like that's just for that family of ransomware that's right that's holy right. smokes it's a big problem and uh and and so you know there's there's so many impacts and thanks for sharing all those what are what are uh, uh, companies and providers working together to stop and manage some of these threats? You gave us a really good one, right? You guys are doing this with with Microsoft, but what else is happening out there?
1: Yeah, so I think you know when you look at the at again what we do at the core from the ISAC perspective, and and Health ISAC is just one example. I would say that you know, and I I can share some more resources with you, but we can point your listeners to, you know, there's an ISAC for everybody, right? Depending on what critical infrastructure you're in or what organization you're in, there's an information sharing place for you that you can benefit from things like this. But, you know, we have members that are actively sharing incident information, um, things that they learn from the threat landscape, uh, again, sharing that information with each other. And the whole idea is that, is that uh, you can learn from your peers what the threats are, what kinds of attacks organizations are actively seeing literally right now, and figure out, like, hey, have you seen this attack in your own environment? Or if you could replay that attack, essentially, you know, would your infrastructure be vulnerable to those kinds of attacks? And and maybe even block that that activity specifically fr- from entering your own environment. So the whole idea is to learn by what's happening, you know, from your peers across the industry and use that information to better protect yourself.
0: That's fantastic. Um, Errol, and and would love uh that link from you. We'll definitely include that in, in the show notes uh for, for today's podcast. Um and, and and obviously as part of the entire series. So you know, and and guidelines here. I mean, you know, people are talking about, hey, there's cybersecurity insurance now, and and you know, like like talk to us about that. You know, what are some things that um, that our listeners that run organizations and businesses could be thinking about as ways to protect themselves from
1: this? Yeah, I mean, you know, the cyber security. I'm sorry, the cyber insurance uh, industry is definitely another complex issue. It's a, it's a way to help mitigate your your risks. And to have some uh, some coverage in case something does happen, it's not the only thing that you should be doing. Yeah. But I think, you know, as organizations look into this and as they become more aware of the risks that are out there and they work with those insurance providers to understand, you know, what their premiums would be, could be, um, you know, the insurance providers are also asking their customers to do certain things in their own environments Um, So it's, you know, it's, I think it's, you know, it's a good move. It's all part of sort of raising the awareness about what those threats and risks are. You know, again, it's just, it's just mind boggling when you think about all of these risks that are out there and how, I always say about how, how bad the, the internet neighborhood is, um, that you need to be aware of those things and really be cognizant of what those risks are when you literally connect to the internet, um, so that you can, you can, um, help protect your environment. And it's, and it's a constant job. I mean, you're never done, which is just the unfortunate part of it. As there are new vulnerabilities that are discovered every day with the existing software. I mean, I was just reading something literally a day ago about a vulnerability from 2007. So it's 15 years old now, Wow! Um, but still a problem today that people have not patched and the bad guys are still taking advantage of it.
0: Jeez. Well, this is, this is totally and and your organization, um, it's specific to health, health ISAC has so many resources. Um, give us a give us an example of of maybe one or two that people could take advantage of today by by clicking on the ISAC link that we'll share with them in the show notes.
1: Yeah, one, I know one of the ones that we want to share with you is this uh, document called the Information Sharing Best Practices, uh, white paper, toolkit, call it what you will, but. Um, You'll see we share it in a, in a Word doc format, so we don't pretty it up and put it in a PDF, for example, and there's a reason for that, because we want you to take that document and make it your own. We want you to use it as a way to build your own information sharing um, set of procedures within your own organization. So what's that document all about? Um, we were, We were originally going to call it Info Sharing for Dummies, so that you get the context of really what it is people, when we talk about info sharing, you know, everyone will agree, hey, that sounds like a great idea. We should all be doing it. But it's hard to get started. And there's obstacles, like people are like, wait a minute, I'm going to share my incident with everybody else out there. That sounds a little scary. It sounds like uh, not only scary, but it sounds risky if I'm going to share what happened to me and we we had an incident, we may have had a breach. I would, do I really want to share that information publicly? And is there a safe way to do that? So, so, so there's certainly there's resistance from leadership. Um, if you go to your legal team internally and you say that, hey, I want to share information about incidents. Of course, the first thing they're going to say is no way. We, yeah. we don't do that kind of thing. Um So so the document talks about how to approach this topic internally. How do you have that that conversation with your boss and with internal counsel about how to begin information sharing? And so it it breaks it down into the kinds of things that you would want to share. What's what's in play here and who may own it internally internally? And, and start to provide examples of what that data may look like. And when you go to the table to have those conversations with legal counsel, with your boss, and say, okay, I want to share this IP address, for example, that we got an email from that was malicious. When you start looking at it that way, you're like, oh, okay, that's not so bad. We could We could definitely share that. That seems to be pretty... Uh, useful information to know but, and and won't cause any harm to us when we share that kind of information. So it, it really tries to break it down into those kinds of steps. Um, we offer also in there uh, the kinds of organizations that you might want to share with. So not only um, ISACs, but maybe um, incident other incident response teams, law enforcement, even other government partners uh, globally as well. So there's uh, some hints and tips in there about about that too. So it's really, you know, it's a primer on really how to get started. And as, and as good as info sharing may be in some circles, um, people need a lot of help in order to get started. So that was really the intent with that document.
0: Wow, that's huge. What a, what a great resource. Folks, uh, I always say this, but it's worth emphasizing. Uh, if something today resonated with you, don't just, Stop at listening. Take action. And inside of the show notes, uh, the document that Errol is sharing with us, it's right there for you and your organization to start. Um, you know, I, I, it's kind of like it's interesting, right? Because for the longest time, Errol, I, I, I think of like I kept thinking about like mental health and how it was taboo to talk about mental health, and it still is to to a certain extent, although it's gone away, right? We've normalized it more. One in right. five Americans has mental health challenges. Um, we've normalized it. Um, in a way, it's almost like taboo to talk about if something happened to you, but yet we could learn so much from each other as these things happen like a neighborhood watch.
1: That's exactly right. And um, and it, I'd say it's also, it's contagious too, to a large degree. And we we talk about it in the paper about some of the other benefits that might not be so obvious. And, and to, to put an obvious one out there, just to reiterate from my own personal experience, you know, when I was in the banking finance sector before I got into healthcare, uh, mm-hmm. doing this kind of work for large banks, uh, back in 2012 and 13, uh, the Iranian government was attacking the banking and finance sector in the US. They were throwing distributed denial of service attacks at bank after bank after bank because of the san- sanctions that were going on at the time. Of course, nobody knew that until a little, little later. But, uh, but the banks were having a hard time dealing with a lot of this um, denial of service activity, and it was causing some severe web impacts at the time. And the neat thing about, again, about the ISAC was that we were able to come together and talk about the experiences, talk about the attacks that we were seeing, and provide some real-time tips and tricks on what was working and, and things to watch out for. Um, and and it really helped the other uh, banks from becoming, let's say, you know, victims of that DDoS attack at the time. And then, you know, the other thing I see, see also was, you know, just just from a personal standpoint, learning so much. You know, even even though I was working at a at a big bank like Citibank at the time, thinking that we had all the resources in the world available to us. Uh, it was not unusual for me to get into some of these info sharing circles and learn an incredible amount um, from from someone at a bank I've never heard of in the middle of nowhere, and so uh, so so you never know who you're going to learn from is my point, and and it's just it's a great environment to be able to put yourself out there and to be able to learn and absorb information from others. So from a personal standpoint, really, it's a growing opportunity. These these little information sharing circles. And then the the last thing I'll point out is, is even leadership. So, so um, and and leadership under fire, I'll say. So, so I saw a lot of people during incident response times um, exhibiting leadership behavior, uh, exhibiting exemplary behavior while they were under fire, dealing with an incident and what, how they conducted themselves. And so I watched that behavior myself and saw like, wow, that's, they're, you know, they're, they're acting cool. And they're under a lot of pressure right now, um, and this is the way that you want to be able to, pre, you know, present yourself when you're talking to your own leadership and trying to, uh, trying to deal with an incident that's that's complex and and certainly very um, very stressful.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, listen, what, what, you're a wealth of knowledge, Errol, uh, and and folks, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, uh, this uh, this month, it, it, the the theme is see yourself in cyber. That is the the theme for October in Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And the whole idea is that it's people. People are the part of cybersecurity that can make the most difference. And what Errol is sharing with us could make a huge difference. So uh, thank you, Errol, so much. I really appreciate uh, your just being with us today and sharing what you know. What, what call to action would you leave the listeners with? And then finally, uh, the second part to that last question is, where can people follow you and learn more about the work that you're up to?
1: Yeah, so I, I think from a call to action standpoint, um, the kinds of things that we would say from a security standpoint is, uh, you know, I, I tell people that you need to protect yourself online. And and ultimately, it comes down to when we look at all of these kinds of attacks, and you know, we, we talked briefly about Uber in the beginning, and 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 I just want to Use that as an example here.
0: Yeah, let's talk about it. That
1: that Uber attack. Um, one of the things that the bad guys did there is they used this this new attack technique called MFA exhaustion,
0: okay. or
1: M, I'm sorry, MFA fatigue. So the MFA idea F- is fatigue. it's okay. multi-factor authentication fatigue. And That's so the idea with yeah. that is is when when you uh, use uh, two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication. And the system that you're logging into will sometimes it will, email, it will um, send you a text message with a six-digit PIN number that you need to enter in. Uh, some of the newer apps will send a notification to your cell phone. Hey, did you just try to log in from Jacksonville, Florida? Yes or no? Um, this MFA fatigue attack um, the bad guys had this person's username and password, but they were protected with multi-factor authentication. The bad guys just kept logging in and, and started to text the victim to say, hey, accept the MFA. I'm with IT support. You need to accept the MFA. I'm trying to log in on your behalf. Wow. And they did it repeatedly repeatedly. after time over, over like the course of an hour, kept sending repeated login attempts to this person until they clicked on the, yes, it's me. And once they did that, the bad guys were in. Shit. So, so, <laughs> so, so, you know, we talk about um, you know using multi-factor authentication as one of the ways to help really um, uh, uh, protect accounts and keep the bad guys out. Now the bad guys have figured out a way to um, to to get around that essentially wow. and and get through. So, the thing, the lesson learned out of here is again is educating the users. Everybody out there listening to this, you know, tell you know someone at work, tell somebody at home about it. Make sure that they don't fall for this kind of a, kind of a scam, and protect those accounts. But as I said earlier, the, the long story of you know protect your own stuff, protect your email all your password resets all your information is going in and out of your email account make sure you know if you use gmail yahoo if you're old enough to have AOL and you're still using that whatever <laughs> yeah. um, you know turn on multi factor authentication they all support it right so at least in lots of ways you're making it, you're making yourself a very hard target compared to everybody else out there so protect your email that's one of the things that i would say you know, to, uh, to to protect yourself and protect your firm eventually, yeah. uh, ultimately the place where you work uh, from potentially becoming a victim. Because the bad guys are going to figure out where you are, whether they attack you at work or at home, they're going to leverage all of that to try to get into your work account at some point. So we see that happening, you know, all the time. And again, here, this Uber example is a classic example where the bad guys were texting the victim um, on his personal device to let them in. So um wow. so that's a big part of it. So anyway, uh I'll give you um uh, uh or the link to the Health ISAC website and you know people can certainly follow us there. And uh we publish uh, white papers and we make uh toolkits like the info sharing best practices document available there for free as well.
0: Amazing. Errol, I, I can't thank you enough for 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 jumping on with us this has been insightful and certainly thank you for for all the work that you're doing um with the council as well as just for for the industry in, in health care we we're grateful for it it's great thanks all appreciate it being here